this morning you hear our praise and you hear our prayer. God, that we would just exalt you. Lord, we want more of you. And that's why we're here this morning. We've come for maybe some edification, some healing, encouragement. Lord, we, we come for different reasons, but we come before you now, God, and, and we desire you. And Lord, right now we know we can put everything at your feet. We know that you hear everything. We know that you know everything. And we can relinquish control. You are a sovereign God who loves us. And Lord, I pray for those people that are here this morning that, that just come, just needing that, that extra oomph from you. A word from you, God, your spirit. And Lord, I know you'll meet them here and you'll meet all of us here where we need to be met. And the idea that our hearts need to be full of you. We need that restoration. We need that comfort. We need that joy. We need that anticipation of life. But Lord, we just need you because you bring all of that to us. And so this morning, God, we ask in a mighty way that you would do a work in our hearts. Lord, you heard our prayer. You're the breath in our lungs. You're the reason we live, Lord, but we need to actually make that happen. We need that reality of you coming to our lives and leading us and us relinquishing control. So help us to do that, God. Help us to come before you naked, open, and ready. So God, anything that's holding us back, that fake facade, that sin, that anger, that pride, that bitterness, let us put it aside. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, come, speak. We ask these things in our glorious Savior's name. And the church said, amen. Please have a seat. Thank you, brother. Man, you know, I, I, it's, it's amazing how God works. You know, the first service, I, I walked up here and I was like, what am I going to say? <laughs> it's happening again. Youth, you're free to go. Thank you for leaving. Yes, okay, yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing because I, I, I'm, I'm just amazed at what the Lord does because I've come and uh, I had an agenda. I had this idea and I, and I, and I emailed John this morning. I go, okay, here's a part we're going to leave out because I just felt the Lord impressing on me of what's going on, the, the happenings in our world. It's amazing. We live in a rapidly changing time. I, I think back to, to, you know, 2000. You know, we, we thought about, hey, we're, we're going to party like it's 1999, you know. And then everything else fell apart. And we think of all the things that have been happening in our world and in our culture, and it just seems like it's a continuous downward spiral. And the, and the idea for the Christian in the world to, to live like we've always lived, it doesn't work. You know, it was so easy in the 90s to, to ride the fence, but as we saw, it, what happens when you ride a fence too long? It gets painful. It's hard. And we as Christians, we've got to understand, hey, you know what? We're here for a purpose. And we're here, as Christ said, to be lights to a world, to be that, that city on a hill that can't be hidden. And so many of us, we just want to go about our merry lives, and we don't want anything to touch them. And we've missed the passion. We've missed the wonder. And I, I look what's going on in Israel, what's going on all over the place. And I mean, we are in for some hard times. Might not be next week or next year. It might be tomorrow. We don't know. But many of us, we just like to write it and we just want to say, you know, this is the way we're just going to deal with it and, and live. 
I think David forgot, and he was a, he was a, 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 a pilot of a, of a ship, I will say a captain, during the, civil, uh, during the Civil War. And he had a rally cry. He said, what did he say? At the Battle of Mobile, he said, you know, damn the torpedoes, full steam ahead. He was like, I'm all in. No matter what happens, we are going where we need to go. And then we think of the Revolutionary War. We think of Patrick Henry. He says, give me liberty or give me death. Then we think of Martin Luther King Jr. when he said, I have a dream. He wanted to change the world. I think of then you think of Jim Elliott, missionary. And he said those words. He said, you know, you know, what good is it to keep what you cannot lose? Or what you lose what can you lose than than to than to keep what you cannot get? I forget the words, but boy. <laughs> I mean it was powerful. <laughs> but I just think of that, you know, and I was like, man, those guys got it. They lived it. And some gave their lives for it. I mean, they, they lived it out. They were out there for purpose. They understood, you know, hey, this is my one life. I've got to make it count. I'm going to die if it needs to go to that. And that's what the saints of old did. You can go to Hebrews chapter 11, and it writes them out. I mean, he thinks of Abraham. And he talks about Abraham. He's all in no matter what. We think of Sarah, his wife. We think of Rahab, the prostitute. We think, we think of David, King David. We think of the failure of Samson and Gideon. We think of what they did. They lived it. Some were really good. Some were weak. But they were all in at one point in their lives for the faith. That's where we need to be. I mean, what else is there? This is it. We don't know how many more moments we might have. And, and so many of us, we're, we're riding the fence. And we got to remind ourselves that there is a greater good. There is something greater for you that God has called you to. And that is Him. It's not something out pie in the sky. It's Him. Those saints in Hebrews chapter 11, they understood it. And we could read about that in verse 35. It says, women receive back their dead by resurrection. And others were tortured, not accepting their release, and so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourging, and yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men whom the world was not worthy, wandering in the desert and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Those are people that lived it. Like, whoa. And yet we want to ride the fence. Yet we want to just get, have our cake and eat it too. That's not what we're called to do. And what happens when, when the, when the it gets, start getting harder and harder? Are you going to cower? Many saints will. Many saints will give up because they're not prepared. They're not living like they should. They don't want to live. They want it all. They want, they want, they want the joys of the life. They want the, the pampering it all. And I'll tell you, is it really out there for us all? Because that's all fleeting. That's all fleeting. Last week I shared with you out of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says very plainly, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things 
not seen. So what do we see here? This is what we are about. Our faith, it's not some random nebulous thing out there. It's not some mist in the air. It's a fact. It's a reality. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, it's there. You know it. And so you have confidence in it. And then it says conviction. And we talked last week about elehas. And elehas is proved. It's tested, meaning it's active. You're living it. And that's what the Christian is. You've got this conviction. And many of us, we don't. We've forgotten it. We're not living it out. We're not sitting there going, hey, you know what? I'm going to win it. Liberty or death. Torpedoes or not. A dream, I want a reality. That's what we have to be as Christians. you got to start thinking about that. That's what the truth, that's what we're here for. As you can see, the title today is something very tangible, very real. I'm talking about real saving faith. A lot of people don't know what that is, or we have this idea, and we kind of just go about it. Maybe you've heard it from a preacher, what real saving faith is. But the reality is, is many of us don't really grab hold of it. Many believe that they have faith, and they don't they truly grab it. They don't have it as evidence in their lives. Because you've got to ask yourself, what kind of faith saves? Oh, faith saves. I, I have faith in God. Yeah, I believe His promises, you know. Well, what is it? We know really simply as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, we know this word, th- these verses so well. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. So gift. All right, what's a gift? Now Christmas is coming up, everybody. You know, we start to prepare for Christmas because Hobby Lobby does. And so we start to prepare for Christmas, and what do we do? We understand what Christmas is about. It's this gift. We're going to give gifts. We're already preparing about gifts. And gifts are for people to take. There's an action. See, God does all the saving. We understand that's saved from above. He does all the work, so he gives us this gift. And so we take the gift. I can't do anything for it. And we understand that verse. We understand it so completely, as it says in verse 9. It's not a result of works. So that no one will boast. It's not about what you do that saves. It's God that saves. I can't do anything. Just like I couldn't couldn't make my mom give birth to me. It was all her work. Nothing I could do. Jesus does all the work. But then we see the byproduct of the work. And it's in Ephesians 2.10. And it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So now we've taken the gift. We're his. And now we're new. And it says the result is what? Good works. We see that. Four good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So we understand it. We understand, hey, saving faith. There's nothing I can do. But then there's a byproduct. That result side. And that's where a lot of Christians just forget. We love that verse, but we see there's activity there. And that's why we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. You see, it's a journey. It's a stepping forward. There's no standing by faith. There's a motion. There's an activity. And then the writer of Hebrews, he goes on to say this in Hebrews chapter, chapter 11. Look at verse 6. And it says, Now without faith it is impossible to please him. And he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. You see, there's two activities. There's pleasing, there's seeking. See, the person that's saved 
seeks to please God. Well, we, what do we do to please God? We want to do an activity. Now, sometimes the activity, if I'm going to please my wife, sometimes it's zip it. She wants me to be quiet. Right, ladies? You understand that. So that, that's an activity, but the reality is, is what do we do to please God? There is an action that follows through. We're called to please. We're called to seek. Now, seek is going out and finding, not sitting there going like this. Seeking is active, and that's where we see our faith, and so many people forget. See, James wants to remind the church this. And so James talks today about three different types of faith. But only one saves. That's what he's talking about here today. And what's interesting, we'll go to James chapter 2 if you want to turn there. We'll start in verse 14. But the reality is, is it's very interesting. James breaks these things up into three different parts. And as a precursor to each part, he reiterates the same thing, trying to get the point across to us. Because we have to understand that there are certain faiths that don't save us. And the first one is this. Understand that saving faith is not intellectual faith. So often we get so caught up in the, in the, the, the minutia, the, the doctrine, the thing of knowing that we lose it. And we think, hey, I know it all. And that's not saving faith. And so many Christians, they know all the words to say. My friend Jim, who is a Secret Service agent, we talked a number of times about this and how he worked with counterfeit money. And he goes, whenever you have a real, genuine article, you're always going to have some counterfeit. You always have with the real fake. With the real pretend. And in a church, there's often the real Christians and those that are just pretending. And many people that have the intellectual knowledge are good at pretending. And James warns us about this, about these pretenders. If you want to look here, we can see it in verse 14. And it says, what use is it, my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? So he makes a statement. And then he gives us an example, and he says, if a brother or sister is without clothing or in need of daily food, and you say to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead by itself. So James is sitting here, and he's using the example that we all need to understand. It's called lip service. Has anybody ever given lip service to anybody other than me? We give lip service to people. Oh, yeah, go in peace. I'll pray for you. Haven't we do that? You know, we, we, we give this lip service to people. We say, oh, yeah, you know what? Yeah, uh, that, that, that's good. You know, hey, you know, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here for you if you need me. And that's it. See, we have to understand what he's saying is dead faith substitutes words for deeds. That's what we do. See, that, that's the Christian church in a nutshell in America. We like to just give the words and look good, but, but really, is there activity in our lives? 
Is there reason in our lives? So often we get so caught up in looking smart, doing the intellectual thing, saying the right Christianese word. We're like pious Christians saying, yes, I'll pray for you. Oh, we will. And the thing is, is you know what? We miss it. That's why, you know, so often when I pray, I learned that I got to pray right away. So, so when I say pray to somebody, man, I am praying in my brain. And then ha- that helps me remember for later or I'll jot it down on my phone. You see, we have to understand that we, we shouldn't just give the lip service to everyone else. There needs to be action. That's why Jesus says this in John chapter, chapter 13. Look at verse 35. And it says, by this, all men know that you are my disciples. We'll go. It says, if you love, if you have love for one another. Now, how do we love? I love you. Does that do it? There's, there's a love, there's an action in our love towards people. That's what we do. We understand, hey, you know what? I'm going to love that person. That might be a kindness, a gesture. That might be you doing something for them. You listening. There is different forms of love, but we are called to love. Now, people aren't going to know that we love each other if we just stand there and we go, I love them. See, that's where a lot of Christians go, oh, of course I love them. The world doesn't see that. The world doesn't know that. That's why John, or excuse me, Paul wrote this. He goes, "For in Christ Jesus, ne- for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love." See, there's action. It's working it out. And many of us, we just chime in to the whole idea of you know I, I don't need to do anything. It's grace. Grace, grace, grace. And the thing is, is we miss out that there is a natural byproduct. James wants us to know it. Look what James said. Let's go back to verse 14. It says, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? The answer is no. The answer is a strong no. You see, yes, you can accept Christ on your deathbed. Most definitely, I believe that. I had a friend who did that. And, and there is no action that will save them because they have no time for action. But a Christian who is born from above, when God changes you, there is an immediate change in your soul. You are new. And so what do you have? You have the Spirit of God. Jesus now lives in you. And so the natural byproduct is, yes, there will be life change. See, church, if you don't have practical action in your faith, it is not saving faith. And you'll hear differently today from different churches. I'm not saying that that will save you, but I am saying that will show you that you are saved. And so we have to understand it's true. It's part of us. Tozer said it like this. The Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience. Nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring forth from faith. The two are the opposite sides of the same coin. See, it's part of us. It's who we are. Go back a little further. John Calvin said, It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies is never alone never alone 
There's always more. And we can't just give the vocabulary. We can't give just the knowledge. There is, there's a life change within the believer. And so you might be the headiest person I know, but if you're not living it out, if there's not a life change, if you're still the annoying person you were annoying when you got saved, something's going to tell us something about that. We've got to tell you that there's got to be some life change. There's got to be some more fruit. There's kindness. There's gentleness. I don't see haughtiness. I don't see lack of self-control. There's self-control. There's love. The, the person experienced that. It's not just knowing the word. It is the word permeating you, and you're living it out. So we have that intellectual side. See, that faith so often, that, that is something that is owned in academia, Christian churches of America. But there's the other side, because there's a whole bunch of churches that aren't all about the Word of God. They aren't going verse by verse. They aren't teaching it this way. And so they're going off on the other side. See, we got the, we got the heady people, and then what do we have? We got the emotional people. So if you were sitting there and you're the heady person, now we're going to attack the emotional people a little bit now, okay? So you people that really get caught up in your emotions, listen up to this. Understand, James wants you to understand that saving faith is not emotional faith. Oh, it's lived out today. Man, emotion runs the country, doesn't it? I mean, first of all, what's the greatest emotion right now? It's called fear. Fear runs people. Man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to overtake. And so what do we do with the environment? The world's dying. We're going to die. Okay, fear. You can lead it and go wherever you want. Then there's the other thing that they love to go. It's that passion or that lust or sex. They want that, that, that drives you, that emotion. I must have that relationship. I must have that, that feeling. I must have my desires met. Me. And so we have this emotion. I want to feel the excitement, the exhilaration of life. I want those things. I want the, the passion that comes with worshiping God. And we get so caught up in the church that we're blind. You know what James equates that to? to? He calls it a demonic faith. Wow. It's like, whoa, that's not fair. Because we're called for compassion. But when that rules your life, that's not of God. See, no one is supposed to be ruled by emotion. That's letting you run rampant. Because he says this and he warns us about what this looks like. Now, what does he do? He starts off, he reiterates about faith. And, and works. And he starts off in verse 18 like that. And he says, But some may well say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So he's saying right there, You see, there's going to be proof, because you can't prove yourself to me if there is no activity in your life. So he's saying right there that there has to be some life change. There's going to be some change there. And so many people say, Oh, my change is me lifting my hands, my change is me doing this expression. Oh, really? That's all about you. See, we see, now he goes on to say, he says, you believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. See, the demons have belief in God just as the believer or a person who says they're the believer has. That's demonic faith. 
Oh, we'll give God credit. Oh, yeah, God is great. You know what? But what do the demons do? They shudder. They're fearful. They understand the power. And so there are many people who call themselves Christians. They, I understand the power of God. And that's demonic. That's what he's saying. Just like the demons, we can get caught up in that activity and miss out on what God wants because we're so enthralled by the feeling. Look what, let's remind ourselves, Jesus, as he talked to the, the demons, and it's out of, out of um, where at Mark chapter 3. And he says, whenever an unclean spirit saw him, they would fall down before him. And shout, you are the son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. So we see there that the demons would shout at him. They knew who he was. And many Christians, we know who God is. But there's no effect on their lives because they're so caught up in the emotion of the idea of God and they never connected with God. They see who He is. They understand it, but they don't have that understanding in their lives where there's life change. Because understand, emotional faith does not convey saving faith. Oh, I can be passionate all, my, all I want. But that, does that work out in my life? I can get up here on stage and I can preach and I get really emotional. You know, you, got, you see that. I get passionate. I could, I could even like hit things. I could be like some pastors and throw my shoe. <laughs> Seeing that done. Wow, guys, full emotion. I could cry. I, I could get, you know, tear, teary-eyed. But I tell you, if that is not coupled with what God wants, if I'm not a person of of activity in my life, if there's not life change in me, that's why a pastor, we're called to change. Not, not our doctrine, not, but our lives change. We change. And we should be having life change within us. Because I tell you, so often we get caught up. You know, I want to feel good. I want to feel passionate. Oh, I live it out, but we're not. That's why Jeremiah warns us. He says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, our emotions run rampant in our lives, in the church. And so we see that, hey, you know what? We aren't supposed to be these emotional, un, un, uh, you know, unadjusted people. We, we're not to be the, the people that are intellectually out to lunch and just know everything about the Word of God. There's got to be something else. And that's why James wants us to truly embrace that saving faith is active faith is active faith we have to understand that there, there there's going to be activity there's going to be life change in our lives see that's a work do you know that see when you change when you become a different person when you you are working through and not having to deal with your your pornography addiction or when you're working through and you're not dealing with that 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 bitterness anymore when you're seeing, hey, your relationships with people, they aren't so combative, but if you're still having the same problem over and over and over, you might have a lot of emotional, you might have a lot of intellectual, but the problem is maybe it's not mixing with your activity with God. See, that's where we're at. Now, there's going to be dry spells. Man, I've gone through some dry spells in my life. 
Anybody ever just feel like hanging it up and I don't want anything to do with God for a little bit? Yeah. You get upset with God or you just get tired because the Christian walk is tiring. And so what do we want to do? We want to say, no more God. I want to just, you know, not anymore. I'm tired of going to church and dealing with that person and everything. I'm going to go to a big church, hide in the back, and, and I don't want any activity. I just want to feel good. And what happens? God comes looking for you, right? Man, that's happened to me. Man, I just like, no, no, God, I'm fine. And then what does he do? He comes finding you. He wants his sheep. He wants them. And so he's going to come search out for you and try and find you and draw you back. Now, you could come easily or the hard way. I say come the easy way. Say relinquish control. Okay, okay, God, you're right. Because you know in your soul that you need to be active with him. We know we need to have Jesus be a part of us. And so that's why James, he reiterates to us going, hey, you need this. Look at it, Look what he says in verse 20 now. In verse 20, he says, but you, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? See, what, what's he do there? He's reiterating it, but now he's taking it to another step. He's calling names. You're foolish if you say, uh-uh, I don't need that. Because you know in your heart you do. I think the worst thing you could ever be called in the Word of God is a fool. Now, you go, well, why would Jesus call me a fool? Because you're being a fool. It's okay. He's God. He's allowed. Does it mean he loves us? No, no. He's using a stern language because maybe you'll step up and listen. You know, we have to sometimes be stern with people going, hey, you're being a fool here. You foolish fellow, don't you see? And that's what James is trying to get at. See, the church is like going, oh, no, no, no. And he's going, no, you see, don't, don't just push this aside. If you're saved, there's going to be action there. Look with me, if you would, now in verse 21. He brings us an example. And the wonderful example is Abraham. And he says, was not Abraham, Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of works, his faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Talk about pleasing God and seeking God out. What did Abraham do? What did he do? He lived for God. Abraham called him out of his homeland. He says, go to Cana. And he said, okay, I'm going. He believed God and he followed. There is an action there. And he went forward with God. Then God said, you know what? I'm going to give you a son. I trust you in this. Sometimes he had, he had a wavering. He had this, this thing. Well, God said, I'm an old man, but he said I could. And he wavered. He failed. But what happened? God did provide. He went down the wrong route for a little bit with Hagar. God did provide. And then God said, you know what? I want you to sacrifice your son. He goes, okay, I believe you. I trust you. I'm going to follow through. And that was his faith. He went forward in that church. That's what we are called to do, to be active, to devout, devout in our faith. Now, there are many Christians out there 
that won't take it to the next step? Are, are they saved? I don't know. They've come to a point, and they're, oh, that's great, until there's really hard things. And, it, and really, the hardest one for Christians is giving in America. Oh, you're going to ask me to give my money? That, that's where I draw the line. See, active faith. Some of us, you know, we see other religions out there. We could see people that, that are in Islam. We see people that go down, down to the temple down the road, and they worship God there, and they're very active. They are sold out. Look at Hamas, what they're doing in Israel right now. They are sold out, death squads going out there. They don't care what will happen to them. They're doing it for their God. And I tell you, you know, you'll see these people that will die for their beliefs. And it's rampant. But I tell you this, and let me remind you of this. No matter how much faith a person can have, it is not direct, and it, it is, if it's not directed to the right object, it does nothing. It doesn't do anything. I mean, I can give my life for a God. And if that God isn't the sovereign God, the most holy God, the omniscient God, the omnipresent, we, we, we have nothing. Our God is that sovereign God. Think of the occult people. Oh, there's power in the occult. We forget that. We're in a spiritual war, and there is power out there, and evil has power, but they only have power because of the, the demonic presence. Those demons. But they shudder at our God. Our God is all-powerful, and they know that, and they shudder. Church, I can pray all day to a rock and I can believe that rock will save me. But in the at the end of the day, it's just a rock. The only thing I can do with that rock is pick it up, move it, throw it, whatever. Our God, when you are saved, you know it because the Spirit of God is imparted to you. You have now become a new creature. You are in Him. And that's something all other religions desire is a life change, is a hope eternal within them. They desire that, but they can't find it, so they search for the next thing. Maybe if I do give my life to this, I'll get, I'll get all the virgins in heaven. Maybe if I do do these things, I'm going to get a new world and a different planet, and I'll be my own God. Maybe if I do do these things, maybe Satan will like me. And the reality is they don't get those things because they don't have the hope and the assurance that a Christian has. But so many Christians miss out because why? They aren't having the assurance because they're not active. And James wants us to understand this. See, active faith involves being touched by God's living word. And when you experience that, his living word is Jesus' soul entering in you. And then this becomes alive to you. To the non-believer, to the intellectual Christian, even to the emotional Christian, that really, these are just words. But for those that are actively involved with God, this is more than that. This is something much more. And James wants us to leave here with a, another example. And so he reiterates again. He says in verse 24, he says, You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. You see, they go hand in hand. And then he gives us the example of Rahab. He says, At the same way, 
Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? What happened here? You don't know Rahab, she was a harlot. She lived in a town called Jericho. And when Israel, Joshua was taking Israel into the promised land to take it over, there was this city that they had to conquer. And so he sent two spies in, and the spies went in there, and they were looking around, and they heard that the people were melting at the thought of Israel. And so Rahab, she brought those two spies into her house, and she says, I will protect you, but you must protect me, because I believe your God will destroy the city, and I trust in him. And they said, okay, follow our instructions. And so she let them go, and then the authorities for that city came to her, and they said, we know that those men were with you. And she goes, I sent them this direction. And that was the wrong direction, she told the authorities. She put her life on the line. Any moment they could have found out that she was lying to them and she was willing to die. That is how tough that was. Yet her faith and her actions justified her. She was saved. I tell you, there's going to be many people, many Christ Christians in our world that they're, they're going to live it out until it gets too hard. When, when God calls them, liberty or death, I'm going to make this dream a reality. Are, are you ready to give it all for it? Are you ready to do it? Because we know, as Jesus warned us at the end, that there's going to be people that fall away from the faith because it's just too hard. It's just too uncomfortable. And I'll tell you this, as he writes in Matthew 24, 24, it says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. See, there's going to be churches and church leaders that rise up saying, I've got, the, I've got it all. I got this comfortable faith that you can walk in. You can come here, and you know what? It's a broad road. I don't care your sexuality. I don't care what you believe. This is a broad road. Everybody's in. This is the good, user-friendly religion, and I'll even do some signs to prove it. I'll even show I can manipulate the Word of God. I'll show you. Come on, everyone, and many people that aren't active in their faith, they won't know what truth is because when you step forward in faith, God increases in you that faith but many of us won't increase we'll just sit back we won't realize that anything's wrong and james closes this section he says for just as the body without the spirit is dead so also faith without works is dead man that's five times he's saying you know what Christian, someone who is saved by God's blessed grace, there's going to be activity in their life. And it's for our benefit that we do this. There's going to be activity in your life so you can stand for something more than you. So you can be ready. Young people, that this is you. This is you. We don't know what the, what the future brings. This is your opportunity to live for something worthwhile than rather the fleeting, than the, 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 what the world is trying to sell you. Old people, it's time for you to 
be that living, living example and not giving in. I mean, we're warned this by Paul in Titus. He just says, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. Being detestable and disobedient and worthless for every good deed. Now, we, we read that. You go, well, I, I don't have any detestable deeds. You know, it's a worthless deed. Complacency. That's, that's detestable. That, 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 that deed of, oh, I don't care. I've done my bit. That's, that's deplorable. That's, that's wickedness. See, God says, hey, you know what? You're not done. You're still here. You see, we, we get caught up going, well, I'm not doing anything nasty. I'm just not doing anything. That is detestable to God. That's not what we're called to do. We're not, we're not good for any good work if we're not doing it. We got to go after it. That's what James wants us to understand. It's not something that we just sit back and watch other people do. We're denying God. That's what this verse is saying. When we don't do, it's like, oh, I hate that. But look, Paul reiterates it. Look at verse 8, chapter 3. This is a trustworthy statement. Okay, before you go any further, when Paul says this, this is a trustworthy statement, it means listen. Listen up. This is important. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things that I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed god will be careful that's thoughtful you are thoughtfully thinking to engage in good deeds these things are good and profitable for men he's going so those that are saved you better be thoughtful about this that you engage in it, that you do it. That's what Paul is saying. This isn't just some, you know, one, one book off thing of James. We see reiterated through Scripture that our lives should demonstrate our faith. And if they're not, you have to ask yourself some difficult questions. Yes, I want to reiterate how we're saved. See, the faith that saves is our belief in Jesus. And then there comes an outpouring of good works. There's a, there's a natural response. I believe I follow like Abraham. I believe I trust like Rahab. I believe, and I'm going to go forward. There are many Christians that they believe, but there's nothing. The demons believe that way. We have to guard ourselves. We have to understand that there is truly a faith that saves. So, where do we go from here? I think a lot of us right now, you know, we might be struggling because it's like, hey, yeah, this, this is kind of a hard message. It is. But we have to step up. We've got to put our big boy pants on. We're Christians. I shared with you the Christians of old, how they lived it out. I don't know what our future holds for us. But it's better to get prepared now than in the middle of a battle. It's better to be prepared now and have your equipment ready for when evil comes. 
Nothing want, no one wants to get prepared for a battle in the middle of it. So I'm going to give you a challenge this week. I'm going to give you an action point. I think a lot of us need these things in our lives. And so the action point is this. I'm going to ask you to choose one practical way to actively live out your faith this week. One way. What does that look like? See, the thing is with faith, is a lot of times we go, oh, I'm just waiting for God to show me. No, remember? We start off, it's very simple. As we looked at, at 2 Corinthians there, it, said, it says, we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is you taking that step forward. And in that motion, when you go out going, I'm going to trust you, God. I believe that you have called me to this person. See, you step forward. Then God will verify as you go forward. And it might, that verification might be when you're done. See, we go forward. You may not feel it. But we've got to start somewhere. Because most of us, we're sitting back and we're just going, ah, you know what, I'm just not feeling it. It's because you're not going forward. You're not feeling it because why? You're not even in motion yet. So we are called to be these people that go forward in our faith, taking steps and saying, okay, what, do you, what would you have me do? And maybe you can't do anything in the sense of, you know, your body is giving out. I talked to a brother this week and he said, hey, what do I do? And I said, hey, there's a prayer chain. There's notes of encouragement. There's life change in your heart. There should be life change. That's, that's a place to start from. But maybe I've heard too in our church, some people saying, you know, that message really spoke to me. I need to go talk to that person. Have you? Have you? Because generally, when I put a statement out there like an action point, and I ask you to choose something, you already know what it is. You know what God's called you to do. Are you going to be the person that puts your faith in action? Are you going to be the person that is that light on a hill? In a world full of darkness, you're the lamp that gives life. It's time we start doing it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his life that now dwells within us. And Lord, we pray that you would give us opportunity to let you live through us to let you use our hands and our feet to touch a world that so desperately needs you. God, let us not just sit back and coast. Let us be people that are engaged with you, that are changing a world that so desperately needs you because we know we can feel you. And Lord, right now, I believe there's somebody in this room that has never asked you, Jesus, to come into their life or they've never meant it and so there's no changing. And so maybe they're living on intellectual or emotional faith. I pray, God, that they would just say, Jesus, change me. Change me so I desire more of you. Change me so my life would be changed. Save me from myself, my sin, my emotion, my pride of intellectual knowledge. Save me, God. And make me the man, the woman that you want me to be. Lord, I pray for that person. I pray for this church, God. Oh, Lord, help me to be the better man. Help us all to love you better. To live out our lives for you. We ask this in our holy Jesus' name. Amen.